Expos and TKOs. We are live, episode 33, on this beautiful Thursday afternoon in the Valley, February 1st, already February of 2024. Can't believe it. And do we have some MMA to talk about this week as we had the last week off of MMA action for quite some time? We get 11 back-to-back-to-back-to-back UFC MMA weeks, and I can't be fired up enough about that. Plus, it could be more. We just know that it's 11 for sure. So um, this week, we are going to talk about some fights that have been announced and preview UFC Vegas 85. It's another Apex card headlined by Roman... um, Delidzi and Nasserdine Amavov. So let's jump right into it. Some fights that we have announced. We have Joaquim Silva and Drakkar Close for May 4th. Really excited to see Drakkar Close back in the octagon, uh, getting back in there, getting wins, stacking them up. He is still a problem taking on a hard-hitting, good jiu-jitsu practitioner in Joaquim Silva. So that should be a fun one in May. We have... Edmund Shabazian taking on Dusko Todorovic March 23rd on that fight night card. will be interesting to see. Edmund hasn't been super active, suffered some losses as a very highly touted young prospect, and the time is now for him to stack up wins. Um, A very fun but winnable fight against Dusko Todorovic is in store. We have the the big boys, Junior Tafa, Carl Williams, March 23rd. That should be a fun one. For some very young bantamweight fighters, we got Peyton Talbot taking on Cameron Saman, March 23rd, as that uh, fight night card gets rounded out. Will be interesting to see both of these guys who are two very young, promising prospects in the bantamweight division. More fights added to UFC 300 since last week. We have Jessica Andrade. Bate Estaca taking on the very hard-hitting Marina Rodriguez for UFC 300. Just another stacked former champion and Jessica Andrade, a stud in two weight classes, taking on Marina Rodriguez and strawweight. The main event for UFC 300 is still to be determined. Dana White says he has a couple of options that will shock everybody, and it should be announced soon. But my guess is we will see Israel Adesanya taking somebody on. I don't think he will move up to light heavyweight as that is a thing that you have to prepare for. So I'm not really too sure who they're going to throw at him. I doubt we get the DDP fight on short, you know, on a short turnaround. So who are your options? I'm not sure, but I'm guessing someone splashy uh, that's a new opponent for Israel uh, that can that can pull the, the card. I don't think Conor McGregor with the testing window that he's had, is going to be legally allowed to fight on that card. I think that's been the issue and why Connor has not been on that card. Also, uh, some big hitters announced. We got uh, Janata Denise taking on Austin Lane, Lane, former NFL uh, and football player, April 27th. We'll see if he can stack up some wins and do a better impression uh, than... um, not Greg Olson, but, uh, man, why am I blanking on his name? Who's the Panthers DN? Uh, Greg Hardy. Almost almost Googled it. Came to my head. So see if he can do better than Greg Hardy. Always fun to see NFL players turn to UFC fighters. 
Uh, we also have uh, the announcement of former Olympic Greco-Roman wrestler Mark Madsen announcing retirement. Not a super stacked resume and career, but a guy that joined the UFC uh, at a little bit older age and had some success. Looking at his last fights, he had a loss where he got knocked out by Jared Gordon. Um, you know, he is 39 years old, 39 and a half. Lost to a very good Grant Dawson. Uh, defeated Vince Pichel, Clay Guida, Austin Hubbard, and Danilo Bullardo in the UFC. Fought in Cage Warriors, uh, was undefeated until the UFC. So uh, probably a good time to call it quits. Uh, you know, bravo on a solid career, especially obviously as an Olympic wrestler. Um, outside of the, uh, we'll stick with the UFC. Um, the Sean Brady Vicente Luque fight was scrapped. Breaks my heart. Was really excited to see that. I think that was a well matched scrap. And I did watch Sean Brady on the Joe Rogan uh, Experience podcast recently, and he talked about how hard he has gone, and now that he is getting older, taking care of his body and making that a priority, and he is not wanting to fight until he had a hand uh, recovery. I think he broke some bones in his hand. And um, much like what I'll get to here in a minute, this fight was never official. Dana White had announced it for the main event in Atlantic City uh, for that fight night card, and his hand wasn't fully healed. He needed some time, so they hadn't signed on the dotted line, so that fight is off. I don't think either dudes will be fighting, so they need a new main event for that fight night card. And then we also had another fight canceled today that I'm really bummed about because it's UFC 299 in Miami, the one that I will be seeing in person. We had the Dustin Poirier-Benoit Saint-Denis fight off. Um, supposedly that was never official. They cannot come to contractual terms. Um, so Benoit Saint-Denis says he's still going to fight, potentially a new opponent for Poirier. I'm assuming there was some finances involved to why that did not become official as it was going to be a five-round co-main event for that UFC pay-per-view card. I won't be upset if BSD is still on the card. I just hope that it's a high-quality opponent, not some short you know, tin can fill-in. Um, and if Poirier is still there, I'm not mad about that either. There was lots of drama as you know, Ariel, Ariel Hawani loves to talk-ish on Dana White and the way he does things, but uh, was talking about him booking fights or announcing fights before they're official. I talked about this quite some time ago, like a couple months ago, right after, right before the holidays of how this gets fighters bought into that fight, right? It sells people on the potential of the cards and it kind of forces the fighters hands into sight on the dotted line. But supposedly Dana leaked um, text messages because on Ariel's MMA hour, Benoit's coach said that they were pressured into this. They had no idea. Benoit was sleeping when this was announced and he didn't even know about it. Dana leaked the text of him with BSD saying, I got a fight booked for you. It did not say, say Dustin Poirier, but it had the date, had the five rounders, you know, made it specific. And uh, he said, I almost have it finalized. Look for the announcement. I've announced it. So it seems like he was setting the expectations for the fighter. It's not like this was completely out of the blue, like his manager or coach may, may kind of made that seem like that was the case. So a little bit of a, a gray area there, but yeah, I mean, they're going to announce fights that both guys might verbally agree to. You know, they still have to come to contractual financial terms and all that stuff. 
Uh, plus, if people are injured, they take it, hoping that things can recover. There's so many variables. So I'm not surprised. With UFC 300, 299, I'd expect a couple of these. I hate that it happened at 299 because I'm going in person. And that, for me, was a big reason why I was willing to pay 900 dollars for a freaking seat in the Miami Heat Arena for this damn fight card. So uh, shit ain't cheap no more. A little bummed about it. Hopefully they get something else happening soon. And speaking of, if you guys, I'm assuming if you're tuning into this, you are an MMA fan. You do watch the Joe Rogan podcast um, and, and listen to his MMA episodes. It's really fun to get real background on the fighters. I enjoyed uh, Sean Brady's. I enjoyed Joe Pfeiffer's. Fe- uh, and I enjoyed the recent one with uh, Francis Ngannou. You get to learn about their stories, a lot of details. You know, Joe talks about certain fights and what things are happening. So if you don't uh, tune into those, I highly recommend that you do. Outside of the UFC, Jake Paul has a new pro boxing bout. He is facing Ryan Berland March 2nd. Um, his su- signature athlete under his promotion, Amanda Serrano, will be on the card as the uh, co-main as well. So although he's not getting maybe the views and the clicks from us MMA guys, he is having another pro boxing bout with the guy that has a better record than him. We'll see if this guy can last through the first round with jo- uh, Jake. We'll be keeping an eye on, on how that career pro- uh, progresses. And then there is, not official, but seems like this is going to be the case, a proposed rule change on what a grounded opponent is, uh, especially on the Arnold Allen fight. Arnold losing majority of the rounds, coming on strong in the third round, has most far kind of in a, a, a body lock clinch, maybe a gut wrench, and is throwing knees up the middle, but he keeps putting his hand down on the mat, which by the rules, that's a grounded opponent that's illegal. He rocks Mozart up against the cage. If that fight did not get stopped because of a quote-unquote illegal knee, I would assume Arnold Allen, with how much he had rocked Evloev, has a pretty high chance at getting a finish in that fight. Uh, So I, I am definitely pro this rule. They are talking about anything but a palm or hand. Uh, will now make it a grounded opponent because a lot of guys up against the cage or in these you know uh, clinch positions, grappling positions, putting their hands down and up, playing the game a little bit so that they can't have knees up the middle because that is a dangerous weapon when you cannot defend it. A knee to the temple, a knee to the head, that is some serious damage. So I love the, the new propose, the proposal of the rule. We will see if it happens. And I believe this is a California fight commissioner. So even if it is approved... Where is that going to be approved to? Just a few states um, for majority. I hope it's majority, but love seeing a positive rule change here. Outside of that, we did not prepare for this card. I forgot that this was going on, but there was a, a pretty big 1FC card this past weekend. Um, the bummer was that Sage Northcut did not fight. I like tuning in to see how Sage is going to do at 1FC as he was a super hyped uh fighter in the UFC at one time, still young, in his prime. He did not fight because his coaches had visa issues. 1FC offered him coaches, but Sage wanted his team. It happened right before the fight. A lot of drama there. I can understand it with all that Sage has been through. He wants to have all the things in order to fight because he needs to win, continue to build his brand back to where it was. If you don't have your coaches, you might be a little weirded out by that. 
Uh, but still, it sucks that it happens on sh- such short notice. Brutal on the fight card. But uh, some of the big names on the card, regardless, you had Superlek Kay- Kayatmu defeating Takara Sagawa, the unanimous decision in the Kickboxing World Championship. Superlek is a superstar in kickboxing. There was a viral image of Takaro, his opponent's leg after the fight and how bruised and beaten it was. I mean, brutal stuff. Superlek is the man for a reason. Would not want to take a leg kick from him. And then the young Cade Rutolo, one of the Rutolo brothers, defeats Tommy Langaker via unanimous decision for the Submission Grappling World Championships. So uh, one of the Rotolo brothers and Superlek stay champions. But enough of this stuff. Let's talk UFC. We got MMA action back this weekend. Uh, prelims at 1 p.m. Pacific. The main card at 4 p.m. Both of these will be on ESPN+. And as a sports fan, there's not a lot to pull from. A lot of injury management in the NBA. The Super Bowl is a week away. Nobody cares about the Pro Bowl. So give me the MMA action, man. But it's on ESPN+. Plus. little midday action. Again, the overall picks record for Bows and TKOs, 33 episodes in. I am 206 on the wins, 206 wins, 93 L's with three no contest or draws. And on the year, the first card, I uh, first two cards, 13 and 7. So there's a lot of decent quality fights, meaning maybe a guy that's worth following, taking on another guy that I'm like, I have no idea who this is. So I won't be breaking down all of these fights, but the fights that I choose to break down is maybe a couple, maybe two reasons. One of them is there's a guy that I really like that I want to follow his career in the UFC. I caught him on a prelims, caught him on the contender series, caught him on ultimate fighter, LFA, Bellator, wherever it is. And I want to see how he does in the UFC. I think he could be good. Or it's just, these are two quality guys, guys that have been around. Everyone knows who they are. These are fights that you want to tune into. So some good fights that we will not break down. We have the Contender Series alum, Jamal Pogues, taking on Ultimate Fighter alum, Landon Quinones in the prelims. I was not super high on Pogues. Um, Excuse me, these guys are not fighting each other, but Pogues is fighting opponent. He's a Contender Series guy. People love the Contender Series. Check him out. Ultimate Fighter alum, Landon Quinones is fighting as well. I was pretty high on Quinones. I thought he was one of the better guys in the Ultimate Fighter for his season. There's a reason the UFC is giving him a chance. I'm excited to see how he does in his next bout. I guess let me let me pull up the specifics here. These are early in the prelims. We got Jamal Pogues taking on Thomas Peterson. Pogues is the underdog. And Quinones is taking on Markel Medeiros. He is the underdog as well. We have Luana Carolina taking on Julia Stoliarenko. Uh, an equality bout in the prelims on the women's side. We got The Rock's man, the guy that The Rock helped buy a house, Themba Gorimbo, taking on Pete Rodriguez. Pretty solid quality fight there. Almost broke that down. Uh, we got Charles Johnson taking on Azat Maksum. And then we have Ultimate Fighter alum Gilbert Urbina taking on Charles Radke. Urbina had a pretty quality showing in that season of the Ultimate Fighter. And then we had Aliskab Kaziriv taking on Mahmoud Muradov in the main card, actually. And also a reminder, I don't know if this is going to be pre-taped or shown after or before or what, 
But we have the Road to the UFC Season 2 uh, Finals going on on Saturday as well. That was supposed to be in Singapore for the Singapore card. That got postponed, so they're just having this uh, at the Apex now. I'm sure they will uh, announce the specifics on the telecast or via socials that day, so if you do want to watch. But if not, you have ESPN+. Plus. You can watch all this on demand. You don't have to watch it live, which is fantastic. Love how sports are. You know, growing up in Montana and Wyoming, watching either Wyoming or Montana, the games were impossible to watch. You would follow the ESPN GameCast, where it just shows like a you know hypothetical throw, incomplete, play by play. You'd maybe listen to it on the radio or Sirius Radio. So the fact with ESPN Plus, I could watch majority of the college games or even the UFC whenever I want. Plus, it's on demand. I don't have to watch it live. Us sports fans can rejoice, especially those of us 30 or older that have gone through some shit to watch what we wanted to watch or see what's hap happening. But we're going to break this down starting in the prelims. We're going to start with Blake El Animal Builder, the 33-year-old fighter with an 8-1-1 record, taking on Jong Yong, the Korean Tiger Lee, who is 28 years old and a 10-1 record. Now, both men in this fight are really trying to show out. Um, Blake is a Dana White Contender Series alum, and Jong is a Road to the UFC winner. Blake uh, was good friends with my buddy who was running Field Supplements, previous sponsor of this podcast. Um, you know, used to room with them, told me some good stories about Blake, so I like to follow his career. And uh, one of my favorite quotes of that season of the Contender Series that Blake was on is I'm not trying to sign 31-year-old dudes at Bantamweight as prospects to come to the UFC, but sometimes you hear a guy's story, you see where a guy's at, they need an opportunity. That's Blake's background. And then, obviously, with the road to UFC, two finals happening. Uh, Zhang Yang is a previous road to the UFC winner trying to uh, show out and win over MMA fans. Both of these dudes, only one pro loss in their careers, looking to move into you know a tough division, show what they're capable of. So breaking it down, Blake is a king of the cage, Cage Fury, and Contender Series alum. He is on a one-fight losing streak. He is 2-1 in the UFC. Four of his eight wins are via submission. Now, Jong is a road to the UFC winner. He is on a seven-fight winning streak and is making his UFC debut. Four of his 10 wins are via knockout, three via submission, so seven of his 10 pro wins via finish. Now, me personally, Blake definitely has better MMA experience in my mind. There's more film to look at of what he's capable of against quality opponents. And Zhang is going to have the speed and striking advantage, but I don't think he's going to be as well-rounded. Uh, Blake's going to have the advantage, especially with his wrestling background. But Blake, where he is today at 33, year old, 33 years old, in the midst of his prime, is really the full version of himself as a UFC fighter. Where I think Lee definitely is going to have a lot more opportunity to grow and add things to his arsenal. But I do think this is going to be a quality learning fight for Lee. I think he's going to have some moments, show off what he's capable of. But I do see Blake coming out with this win. I am avoiding this on a parlay, but I am taking Blake Builder in this fight. Moving on, also in the prelims, we get a rematch affair. We have Diana, the warrior Princess Belbita, 27 years old with a 15-7 and record, 
taking on Molly Meatball McCann, 33 years old with a 13 and 6 record. Now, this is a massive fight for Molly. She was cut from the UFC, getting a second chance at 33 years old. Now, I don't know the specifics about the cut. She was announced off the roster. She's now back on the roster. It could have been the end of the contract, waited to negotiate a contract, then she got it back. I am not sure. But um, either way, there is going to be a ton of pressure for Molly. She is fighting a talented woman who is looking for some consistency. You know, although this is a rematch, the fight happened in 2019. Molly won that fight via unanimous decision. But really the big difference was Molly's ability to grapple and get takedowns, specifically nice double leg takedowns. And Diana was landing a lot of powerful shots and was using her length very well. But that fight was also D Diana's U UFC debut. So, you know, you got to take that for a little bit of salt, the little bit of salt there. Breaking this fight down, Diana has a kickboxing and karate style. She won gold in the 2018 IKF World Kempo Championships, which my first form of martial arts was actually Taekwondo for one year. I went up one belt. I was in like second grade. I don't really remember. After that, moving to Wyoming, I got into Kempo Karate, uh, karate and moved all the way up to Brown Belt, which is actually quite high. Took it very seriously. So I'm very familiar with the competition she was in. Um, that helps form maybe some speed, just some natural striking ability, but that's really not going to translate a ton into mixed martial arts at the UFC level. But she did win gold at the World Associate, Associate of Kickboxing Organizations. Just shows you she's been doing martial arts. She's been striking. It's going to be natural for her. Uh, she is on a one-fight losing streak and is 1-2 since 2022. Six of her 15 wins are via knockout, four via submission, so 10 of her 15 wins are via finish. Four of her eight losses are via submission, and she does have that six-inch reach advantage in this fight. Now, Molly has a brown belt in BJJ. She's a Cage Warriors alum and former champion. She's on a two-fight losing streak. She is 2-2 two and two since 2022. Six of her 13 wins are via knockout, and three of her six losses are via submission. So in the first fight, again, Diana's UFC debut, I'm a firm believer when you have an original fight, the fighter, you know, you're in an individual sport here. This isn't a team sport, but the fighter that has won, and once you have defeated somebody, there is a mental confidence and um, just like, courage that you get going into the next fight going into the rematch and on the the losing side the fighter that had lost you know there is going to be some doubt there's going to be some overthinking critical thinking happening but again molly much like blake is the version of herself she's not going to add a lot to the game she know what was successful in that last fight i don't see a ton of game plan changes here and diana knows she can strike she you know the pace that both of these women went in the first fight was insane and they were gassed out in the third round. So I think both women might want to change that up a little bit. But on Diana's side, I think she's more patient this time. I think she's not going to chase all those big shots. And Molly's going to look to get those takedowns, look to get those double legs. Really, the opponents that Belbita has fought even since Molly uh, in, in recent fights, she's been able to get taken down too easily. So she's going to have to keep moving, using that jab for distance, 
to outscore and outstrike Molly over the course of the fight. But again, there's just a lot of mental that goes to that. So how strong is Belbita mentally? She's still only 27. I just don't think at this moment in time, she's going to be able to stay patient, keep the jab going, avoid takedowns over the course of the fight. And um, I think Molly is in desperation mode. She gets a little chaotic. And I think we see a lot of chaos here. But I do think Molly's going to find a way. So I am uh, taking Molly uh, to go 2-0 against Diana, win the rematch as well. I think it's a very close fight, though, and I am not putting this fight on a parlay at all. Moving into the main card, we got some fun ones here. Starting off, we have uh, Viviani Vivi Araujo, the 37-year-old fighter with a 12-5 record and the number seven next to her name, taking on Natalia Silva, 26 years old with a 16-5 and and one record and the number nine next to her name. So both women inside the top 10. This is going to be one heck of a fight. It's a tough one to pick. There is definitely going to be a speed advantage for Silva, but I do think Viviani is the more well-rounded fighter. She has a bunch more experience. She's fought some of the best in the division, which is very intriguing as well. Breaking these ladies down, Viviani has a black belt in BJJ, a black belt in Luda Livre. She's a jungle fight alum. She's on a one-fight winning streak and is 2-2 two and two since 2022. But again, in those 2-2, two and two, she's fought some of the best in the division. I mean, let's just look at it to give you a perspective. If you don't know about Viviana Araujo, one of my favorite names to say, because looking at her name on paper, A-R-A-U-J-O, it can be confusing, and I mess it up a lot. So she beat Jennifer Maya. Jennifer Maya's looked really good. Uh, she's been on a resurgence herself. She got a decision victory over her in October. She lost to decisions by Amanda Ribas and Alexa Grasso, uh, current champion, and then beat Andrea Lee in 2022, lost to Caitlin Chukagian. So she has fought literally the cream of the crop and had some success. And some of those de decisions were very, very close. Um, she does have a three-inch reach advantage in this fight as well. Now, Natalia, she's a Jungle Fight alum. She's a former champion with one successful title defense at Jungle Fight. She is on a very impressive 10-fight winning streak, four of them in the UFC. Seven of her 16 wins are via submission, five via knockout. So 12 of her 16 wins are via finish. Now, Natalia has really shown out in the UFC. She has a big age advantage. Uh, Vivi, though, definitely has really, really good grappling and takedown ability. Silva really hasn't dealt with that level at the UFC. So this will be a very fun learning and, uh, as a fight fan, measuring stick for her. Um, the best grappler she has fought was probably uh, Jasmine Jazadavicius. And she's pretty solid, but not at uh, Araujo's level. So I do assume that we would... I would Assume that we are going to see a good amount of takedown attempts from Araujo in this fight. That doesn't always happen, though. Uh, especially with Silva's speed, her movement, her feints. She she has this really nice hip movement coming from her, uh, her uh, martial arts background. Really good hip movement that is a good fake of kicks coming, her way, coming your way. So a lot of that's going to kind of slow you down as an opponent, not really open up your, your grappling... Um, 
that you're prepared for and those opportunities because you're always waiting like, oh, you know, if I go down and she actually throws this kick, it's going to land and, and knock me out. So there's a lot of different things at play here. Um, but Silva's feints, her speed, her movements, and her kicks are some of the best in the division. And I think that's going to be something that Vivian hasn't really seen. Although Viviani has great straight strikes in her strikes, uh, I do think her striking is going to be uh, pretty successful and is going to be able to get up. I think she's going to outscore her and outlast Ada Ujo over the course of three rounds. For that reason, I am taking Natalia, but again, it's so close. I could see Ada Ujo landing some good jabs, some straight shots, getting the takedowns and outscoring her that way, but I am taking Natalia Silver from here and going from there. Then we get a rebooked fight that fell off recently. We are getting Muslim, the king of Kung Fu, Salikov, 39 years old with a 19-4 and record, taking on Randy Rude Boy Brown, 33 years old with a 17-5 and record. Now in this fight, both men are willing to exchange. They usually have striking advantages against their opponents in their fights. And it's going to be interesting to see if Muslim tries to mix in clinch work, mix in grappling, as Randy has really struggled with that in his past. Now, this fight was supposed to be at UFC 296, but Brown withdrew due to illness. I was super fired up for the fight, and I'm excited that it's rebooked. Now, Muslim, he has a Sanda background. He's a master of sport in Sanda. He trains out of American top team. He's got a blue belt in BJJ. And he won gold in the 2008 Olympics for Sanda. He won the world championships for Sanda in 2005, 7, 9, 11, 13, and 15. He is pretty good when it comes to combat Samba, Sanda. Uh, he is an M1 alum. He is on a one-fight losing streak and is 1-2 since 2022. 13 of his 19 wins are via knockout. Now, Randy has a brown belt in BJJ. He's a Ring of Combat alum and former champion. He had two successful title defenses with Ring of Combat. He's on a one-fight winning streak. He is 3-1 since 2022. Six of his 17 wins are via knockout, five via submission, so 11 of 17 wins via finish. Now, Randy is a long dude. He has an 8-inch reach advantage and a 4.5-inch leg reach advantage as well. When I think striking specifically, this is a very even match. I'm going to go with Muslim striking, though. He has the experience advantage. He's fought stiffer competition, and I do think he can use grappling to his advantage. I don't see Randy having an advantage in this fight besides the length and maybe the striking speed, which can be successful, especially early in the fight. But Muslim, I think, is going to look to make this fight ugly as possible, wear on round Randy, clinch on him, just get some body weight on him to wear him out where his striking can take advantage without uh, the lack of speed. And also, I do think Muslim's going to bring the fight to Randy, pressure him. You know, he's 39 in his UFC career. He's a Santa freaking stud. He's done a lot in the UFC already. But he, if he wants to stay in the UFC and move up the ladder, the time is now. You can't take a loss to Randy at this point in your career. Um, you might be retiring much like Mark Madsen. Let's see. Right now, Muslim and the odds is 
a let's see he is a plus 200 underdog so i would not parlay muslim but it would be a fun underdog parlay as there's a couple interesting dogs to throw some money at in this card but looking at muslim's ufc career he's been in the ufc since 2017 um his best wins elizao zaleski dos santos francisco trinaldo andre fialho he recently lost to nicholas dalby and lost to lee jingliang so um again i'm taking muslim i think the underdog's coming the dogs are coming to eat <laughs> moving on we got two more fights we got drew the crimson chin dober that's not his original nickname, but Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it, myself included, his big old chin, it's the Crimson Chin. That's the nickname I'm going to give him. He's 35 years old with a 27-12 and 12 record and the number 15 next to his name. Taking on Renato Moicano, 34 years old with a 17-5 and five and one record and the number 13 next to his name. Now this fight is going to be a banger. This is a clash of styles affair. We got a submission heavy fight, uh, heavy fighter with decent striking, taking on a striking and power hitting stud. Both men are full of momentum. They're looking to defend their spot in the top 15. They're in their primes looking to climb up the ladder board. Breaking it down, Drew trains at an elevation fight team. He has a brown belt in BJJ. He's got a black belt in Taekwondo. He's a Bellator Ultimate Fighter and Titan FC alum. Four of his last six fights have been performance of the night or fight of the night. He shows up. He shows out. He's got the most knockouts in UFC lightweight division history with nine of them things and probably the toughest division in the UFC. He is 4-1 in the UFC. 14 of his 27 wins are via knockout. Six via submission, so 20 of his 27 wins via finish. Now, Renato trains out of American Top Team. He has a black belt in BJJ and Muay Thai. He's a Jungle Fight alum. He was the interim champion for Jungle Fight. He's on a one-fight winning streak. He did not fight last year in 2023 at all, but was 2-1 in 2022. 10 of his 17 wins are via submission, Three of his five losses via knockout. And he does have a seven and a half inch reach advantage in this fight. Man, I am just excited to see this fight. And I'm super bummed that it's happening at the apex, not in front of fans. Because you could see the opportunity for Moicano to get on the mic. Uh, especially with the big crowd. Drew Dober with knockout potential. This would have been a great one uh, for a in-person fight. And I do think that Drew in this fight is going to do work uh, while it's standing. I think his striking, his power is a lot better than Renato's. And I'm not really sure how Moicano is going to get this fight to the ground where his strengths lie. You know, how does he get to the octagon, uh, get Drew down to the octagon? Besides maybe some sweeps, some clinches up against the cage. Unless he's able to rock Drew as well. I just don't foresee that happening. Now, Drew is definitely more battle-tested. He's fought stiffer competition in the UFC, and I believe he's going to bring the fight, and I'd be surprised if this lasted all three rounds. I am taking the underdog, Drew Dober. We marking him on that parlay, and we getting that bread. 
Again, the dogs are coming to eat. Then we have the main event. We have Nasser Dean the Sniper Imavov, 28 years old with a 12-4 and record and the number 11 next to his name, taking on Roman the Caucasian Delidzi, 35 years old with a 12-2 and record and the number 8 next to his name. Now this is going to be another banger. It's the main event, five rounds for a reason. We get two strikers with Imavov be more, being more of a kickboxing style and stud with a lot of powerful kicks, taking on a very, very hard-hitting, aggressive boxing-type striker who throws a lot of hooks and has seriously knock-you-the-F-out power. Breaking this down, Nasser Dean is an orthodox fighter. He trains out of the MMA factory. He's on a one-fight losing streak with the no contest, but is 3-1-1 and one and one since 2021. Roman is an orthodox fighter. He trains out of Extreme Couture. Three of his last four fights have been performance of the night. He shows up. He shows out. He is on a one-fight losing streak and is 3-1 and one since 2022. Seven of his 12 wins are via knockout. Now, there is a chance that Roman catches Nasser Dean in this fight. With the power that he has, he could put anybody out. I think Nasser Dean's movement, mixed with his defense, his kicks, you know, keeping those high kicks, keeping Roman at range. It's like, hey, you want to come in? You're going to eat some of these kicks. I think it's going to be too much for Roman to over, overcome. And the longer the fight goes, I think it's more of an advantage for Nasser Dean. With the aggressiveness and the power that Roman strikes, I would be shocked if he could do that over the course of five rounds. He isn't a DDP in that area. And I do believe Nasser Dean, who fought Sean Strickland in a five-round main event, that experience will pay dividends. And that was only in January of 2023, so a little more than a calendar year ago. This is going to be a fun one. It's going to be a wild first two rounds, so don't bleak. But I am taking the sniper. I'm taking Nasser Dean Amavov. We putting him on that parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. But we get 11 back-to-back weeks of UFC action. We got the PFL Bellator Supercard coming up soon. But next weekend, it's another solid, you know, solid Apex Fight Night card. This time, it's headlined by Jack Hermanson and Joe Pfeiffer. Then we have a UFC pay-per-view event, UFC 298 in Anaheim the weekend after where Alexander the Great Volkanovsky will be defending his featherweight title. That's episode 33. I'm your host, Shane Gillette. See you next week. Peace.